Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for joining me today on Grief and Rebirth Podcast. I'm speaking to you, as you know, from West Orange, New Jersey, while I have an extraordinary guest for you. Her name is Judith Hancox, and she is coming to us from Vermont. According to Judith, trauma is healable, joy is possible, and peace of mind is readily attainable with the right tools and daily practice. Judith is a trauma recovery specialist and a licensed clinical social worker with a body, mind, spirit approach to emotional recovery. She is also affiliated with Helping Parents Heal, the remarkable nonprofit organization dedicated to assisting bereaved parents by providing support and resources which aid in the healing process. I was very much looking forward to my interview with Judith last April at the Helping Parents Heal Conference in Charleston, South Carolina, but the conference was canceled due to the pandemic. Her role at the conference was to support parents with evidential healing modalities for trauma recovery and to help them understand the relationship of complicated grief and post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD, which Judith says can be healed. Judith has a master's in social work. She is a licensed clinical social worker, and she is also a board certified expert in trauma stress. In addition, she is the author of three books and she is currently working on her fourth, titled Transitioning Trauma, Grief and PTSD. Judith, welcome to Grief and Rebirth Podcast. I've been looking forward to our interview because I know that we all have so much to learn from you about healing grief, trauma, and more. But first, stay tuned everyone while I take a quick minute to show some love to our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, Judy, welcome to our Grief and Rebirth podcast. It's so great to see you here. Let's start by having you tell us about your spiritual journey, which began when you were eight years old, your work with children, and what inspired you to pursue a career that focuses on healing methods to accelerate trauma recovery. And also, I know you have an amazing story about your niece that you can also share with us. So go for the goal. Tell us all. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> Thank you, Irene. I'm so happy to, to be here finally after all these months. So this is great. It's Just a celebration. <laughs> here we yeah. are. Yes. And here I am in Vermont and you're in New Jersey where I grew up. Oh. My journey started in New Jersey. Um, and I have to say, it, most likely it was guided and pre-planned. Uh, but when I was eight, you know, I talk about, 
remembering laying in bed and looking at the ceiling and just questioning over and over and over, who am I? But who am I? Who am I? And nobody could answer that. And I was a little embarrassed to ask, you know, in that way to anyone. I kind of knew at a young age, I felt like a stranger on a strange planet. And didn't learn until many years later, I'm connected to this big spiritual community. But over the course of, you know, my childhood, um, I was raised Catholic and, and I left the church when I was about 18 because of the dogma, and the, you know, because of the, the things that were just not resonating with me. But I love to be in church and I love to go and look at the stained glass and feel the energy of the church. I love, I love to go alone and I would. And I've always, you know, just questioned who am I? Why am I here? I had, um, you know, on a side about 10 years of abuse that happened in my childhood that took me into a, a place of rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little bit of a rebel as a teenager. My parents, you know, thought I was the rebel kid. Uh, and someone handed me a book uh, when I was in college, a freshman year in college, called Autobiography of a Yogi. And before that, I was dabbling in reincarnation books in high school. And I read a book called Search for Bridie Murphy. I don't know if you know that book. No. But it's a story of a woman who was hypnotized, hypnotized and under hypnosis, talked about this life she had in Ireland of Bridie Murphy and the street she lived on, you know, the church she went to, the names of people in the neighborhood, her children. And after her hypnotic session, she went and explored what is this? Because it was so clear to her. And turns out she, I think, went to Ireland or explored and did the research. And sure enough, there was a Bridie Murphy with all those details wow. that were real, you know, from another century. So that really piqued my curiosity. And I just was always interested in um, rebirth and the afterlife. And, um, but, you know, as a teenager and getting into other things, um, I met my husband in 1970 as a freshman in in college. And that's when someone handed me that book, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And I lit up like a Christmas tree <laughs> because his whole story, he's a saint from India, one of the first yogis that came to teach yoga to the United States. He came over on a ship, his, his guru, his teacher sent him as a young uh, student who was learning and on the ship over to the United States to California, he was praying because he found a Bible, a Gideon Bible in the drawer <laughs> and he couldn't speak a word of English. And he was praying to Jesus to please help him resonate with the people of this country of the United States because he was very afraid and didn't know and couldn't speak the language. And by the time he got to the United States, he could speak perfect English. Wow. And that's just one of the miracles. You know, oh. he, talks, he talks about miracles from the time he was an infant in the crib and knew who he was and was frustrated that he couldn't talk or walk yet, you know? And just chapter after chapter after chapter is miracle after miracle. And I'm, I'm a miracle fan. Miracles are fun. I've had a few of them myself. They're, yes. Right? 
And uh, so that really turned me on to yoga and my search for meditation and studying. Uh, but it wasn't until the later 70s when we were living in Vermont for the first time, raising my child here, that we had a series of bankruptcy and financial problems. And, you know, I swore I'd never go back to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I was way, there's no one, no one listening who can relate to your story at all right now. I mean, don't <laughs> swear ever, because it turns out New Jersey. I have my heart is in New Jersey because it did so much for me and for us. Where um, were you living in New Jersey, Judy? I have oh, please. We we lived in uh, Bergen County, Morris County, mostly Morris County, Sussex. Well, County. My neighbor. I live. I live in Essex County. Yes. So I lived in Sussex when we moved back from Vermont, um, Sussex County, uh, Stillwater, New Jersey, where I met my guru in, when we came back. So if we say, you know, I was guided, you know, what, the real crux of the situation happened when we went bankrupt and had to leave and I had sworn I'd never move back and now I had to eat my words. And I cried all the way from New Jersey, from Vermont to New Jersey. I had my 62 Willys Jeep, my son in the back, all my plants and my cat. <laughs> my husband had the dogs <laughs> and other stuff with the van. But um, I got down on my knees, really. I was, we were on Lake Champlain at Mile Point. I hugged a tree <laughs> and just was crying, saying, why do I have to go back? I didn't want to go back. And then finally, I just kind of like collapsed into this Oh, well. You let go. You finally let, let it go. No, I just said, please guide me. I don't know what the mm, I'm doing. So I'm too messed up. Just please just guide me. All right. I'll, I'll take it. So I accepted that. We went to Sussex County, which was more like Vermont, very hilly and had Stokes Forest to go in and hide, <laughs> take my son and go to the lake and be in the woods and feel like I was in Vermont. <laughs> and, Vermont's um, beautiful, by the way. I've been in Vermont also. Yeah. Yes, but I would go from Stillwater, New Jersey to Manhattan to see Hilda, who was a guru there and had in St. John the Divine Church, you know, had hundreds of people who would swooning and, you know, and I would go every week with somebody with a group. And my husband finally said, can't you find somebody around here? You know, you got to go to New York, you know, two hours away. So I put it out there, you know, please help me find a teacher here. And within a week at the local health food store, there was somebody putting up a poster about uh, a yoga class in Stillwater, New Jersey at the library um, where I went. It was like an 1800s place, very old and creaky wood floors. And I went upstairs to the first class and there was this Swami in orange and a little group, about seven people around a candle. And I went, I'm home. <laughs> I'm home, yeah. <laughs> and my teacher said, um, over the course of a uh, couple years, I, I, I studied, um, well, that was 1980. So by 1984, you know, he had said, if you really want to learn about spirituality and you really want to be a teacher, if you really want to be a devotee, a yogi, you have to give up everything. You have to get rid of all material possessions, you know, come live in the ashram. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I thought about it, you know, but I have a son and uh, who's, what was, Jesse was in fifth grade at the time, I think, or fourth grade, third grade, 1984. Um, but I decided to go. So then my husband decided, well, he's going to come with me because he wants to see this is not a, uh, 
Some... But here's the thing I gotta say, what an open-minded man your husband was. Oh, he's how a few, How few men today, I think more are opening, but how few men stubbornly cling to whatever it is they need to cling to for their their egos or their pride. And your husband was like, okay, honey. He's a keeper. Uh, he, it wasn't uh, really okay, honey, let's go. What? It wasn't really, okay, honey, let's go. But it was months of thinking about it. Yeah, and actually in the beginning, because I studied four years with my teacher in the group, and or three years, over three years, and little by little, I was changing. I was stopping my thoughts of pressuring him to do what I was doing. And my teacher would say, um, when I asked, you know, why doesn't he come to class? I want him to come to class. He said, just shut up, stop it. You know, just you do your thing, let him do his thing. And if it works, it'll work. And so I did that and he still wasn't coming. So my teacher said, stop it. Your thoughts, your mind, you're pressuring him with your mind. You may not be saying anything anymore, but you're still, and he was right. So I did. And, you know, I really put into practice. I tried very hard in meditation to just go into myself and do my thing and be more open-minded and loving. And it, that did work because we resonate. We met as soulmates, as kids you know, 18 years old I was, and he was 19. And we've made changes because at the core, we have a deep spiritual connection and we probably had this planned. So he did come, uh, he did come to classes and then he agreed, we'll do this as an experiment. Now me, I put the house on the market, got rid of all my clothes, possessions, everything, you know, I did it. He was more practical. He's a Virgo. More you went cold turkey. I went cold turkey. Wow. And because I felt I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. And my life wasn't working as much as, you know, I was okay, satisfied. I wasn't really satisfied with my work as a health inspector. I had been an early childhood teacher. And now through this twist of fate, I just got a job because I needed a job that was a CEDAR grant and became a health inspector, an environmental health specialist for 10 years. And this all happened during the and course- And you were going to visiting companies and restaurants and all kinds of things like that. Inspecting restaurants, checking septic systems, water, you know, houses for resale, all of that. And I, I, being a woman in that position also was very um, challenging because I wasn't taken seriously as, a, as the director of the health department in Long Valley when I was there in the 90s, well, 80s it was. And um, I did go, um, because I was a health inspector and a director, I wanted to get the pay that it should give me <laughs> as a health officer. And the town said, no, um, if you wanna be a health officer, you have to get your master's degree and we'll pay for it. I said, all right. So I looked at the uh, the syllabus and to see what would fit and social work is a master's that you can receive and be a health officer so oh. when i told the town council they said well that's very nice but you're not going for social work we want you to go for environmental science and being i'm not a real left brain science mathematician <laughs> at oh, all sister i am absolutely i know <laughs> i'm the right brain creative uh you know right I'm so Go for it. And um, I said, 
that's all right. I'm, I will not go for a master's and, and be putting in that much time and work and attention for something I don't even want. So I'll pay for it myself. And so I did and went for my master's in social work, which took me on this other journey of helping parents with Parents Anonymous in Sussex County. I established Parents Anonymous of Sussex County as part of my you know, training in school and my research. Tell us about Parents Anonymous. Parents and I came much later. This was in the 80s, you know. So 1990, I graduated with my master's, set up Parents um, Anonymous to help parents stop abusing their children. People oh were, either, they were either mandated by court or came voluntarily to, you know, so we would teach skills. We had a child care center there and um, really it was something that was needed, was not there. And Oh, can I really? Wow. Yeah, we, that was established before I left. I did it for five years. And later on, you know, through the course of, of time and my master's, I was working with special needs children in another school, um, Calais School in New Jersey, in Morris County, in Whippany, which still exists today. And that gave me a lot of training that I didn't have for special needs and my mentor there and my teacher there and the supervisor sent me to a uh, school for EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization right, right. and processing therapy. I can say right, right, because I know, but let's say it again so our listeners know what that is. Eye movement. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So to desensitize a trauma and reprocess it into something positive. And that was the beginning of an amazing journey of realizing that people could heal from trauma really and truly and clear the trauma from their body, mind, and spirit. I didn't know that then because it was all a mental and emotional psychological uh, technique. Um, before that, I should say, when I graduated from my master's in administration of social work, I learned I had to go back for another master's in clinical training because I was in the wrong track. Because remember, I was going to be a health officer. <laughs> so I decided early on, I loved too much what I was doing with people and groups and children uh, in that way. And I was given advice from a, a mentor at my um, college, Rutgers University, to go to a training of uh, an institute that would train me in techniques, pick a technique I like, because I'd learn a lot more there about therapy and you know psychological training and working with people than I would going back to school in, in the books and mm -hmm. the little bit of uh, you know connection we had with training there. And that's what I did. I um, enrolled in the Gestalt Institute of New Jersey and with Dr. Art Frankel, and he was just so great. And I wound up three years studying, learning, growing with him, and then teaching with him. Uh, so it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. So gestalt, I gravitated to gestalt therapy because gestalt means whole and putting the pieces back together again that are shattered. And yoga, of course, I'm a yogi. That means union with your higher self. And in 1986, when I left the ashram, and not because I wanted to, but because the ashram disbanded, it just disbanded. And we were told we had to leave. 
<laughs> so my husband, the practical one who never put the house on the market and, and wanted it to sell, it never sold. In, in the two years we were there, the house we rented never sold. So we were able to move right back into our home, um, collect some belongings again and go on well, from there. You were kind of protected. Your, your, your road was kind of guided and protected. I feel that way. It was totally protected and guided practically from my husband, <laughs> Bill, and spiritually from the great source of all there is. So yeah. I was guided to Gestalt therapy along with social work. And that's very dynamic. It's creative. It's, it's, you know, doing role play and double chairs and you're into your right hemisphere. And I learned that trauma, um, the trauma that we need to release is in the right hemisphere, not in the logical reasoning, left brain um, words that we use, the language that we use, although cognitive behavioral therapy is so important to understand and to you know, get techniques to be practical and change our life. But if our trauma is there, and mine still was also um, from those 10 years. So as much as I aspired to being spiritual and you know, as best as I could be the yogi and connected to my higher self, I was falling flat on my face a lot of times with my emotions. As they say, heal or heal thyself. Right, right. right. So when I went to EMDR training, we have to, you're in groups of three and in, in Gestalt therapy too, in many trainings, you're in these triads where one person um, acts as a therapist, one is a, a client and one is an observer. Then you switch roles. Everyone takes the role. So in this little experiment in my first EMDR training, they ask you to pick something that is about a five in of a level of disturbance on a zero to 10. 10 being the worst you could possibly feel on the Likert scale and zero being peace, no disturbance at all. So on that zero to 10, they ask you for about a five because they don't want you with your tens, you know? So um, to practice. So in this practicum, um, my first EMDR practicum, I, I figured, ah, little bullying in junior high. What could that do? You know, that's over. Well, during the period of doing the eye movement with the bilateral brain stimulation, as you're thinking about the bad thing or the, shouldn't say bad, there's no bad or good, it's negative or positive. As you're thinking about the negative disturbance, um, you start with the bilateral brain stimulation and mine went up to 10 plus 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 plus. And I broke down, I'm crying, and I'm like a little baby. <laughs> Over a little bullying, right? Not so little. But it also has feeder memories, which I didn't realize then that I know now with you know, 25, 30 years of experience that tapping into that you know, childhood, teenage experience, the underlying childhood experience was a feeder into that, which blew it up. And I didn't process that until much later. So EMDR. A feeder, a feeder energy exactly is what now? Feeder. To the original source of the pain. A feeder memory. A feeder memory. So how would you define that? Um, it's a memory that feeds into a present trauma or a trauma that you're thinking about that you think is more present, you know, uh, more related to your life right now. And even if it's five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, but it, something from your childhood is usually a feeder memory. 
So when you go to a feeder memory, it, it can happen from three years old or before. And in fact, if there is trauma when you're an infant, pre-verbal trauma is the hardest, by far the hardest for therapists to help someone heal from because there are no words. And as we go into helping parents heal, that shock and trauma of there's no words. There are no words that could describe the depth of traumatic loss and, and the feelings that are so ingrained in the suffering of having feeling you've lost, you know, your child. It's a physical loss. And what we learned spiritually, and the reason I was probably trained this early and that early on is because I was there for my sister when my niece, my godchild, Carly, transitioned at 24 years old. So there are no words. Absolutely. You have an amazing story about Carly. You want to uh, tell us, share that with us? Um, have I closed the gap enough <laughs> <laughs> about trauma? Yes. So, so uh, before I, I will, uh, before I go into Carly and what happened, um, I want people to understand that the gestalt piece of creativity coupled with the EMDR, the practical psychological method of a protocol to desensitize a trauma, and then being led to energy psychology and uh, thought, evolving thought field therapy. Many people do um, emotional freedom technique, EFT. There's TFT, thought field therapy. Right. It was guided to probably bar none, the most beautiful way of assessing a person's trauma through evolving thought field therapy, because it taught me how to muscle test George Goodhart's technique and how to assess where exactly in the body is the trauma stored in the body, mind, and spirit, in the energy system, the emotional system, and the mental system, and the physical system. So being very accurate in that assessment helps you target in your treatment, so your treatment is accurate and you're not wasting a lot of time looking at other things that don't need to be looked at at the moment when you're targeting the trauma. So when my niece transitioned, my sister um, hadn't explored spirituality in her life like I did. You know, I was the rebel, remember? You think you were crazy? <laughs> oh, I was crazy. I was, you know, I was brainwashed. I was in a cult. I was, you know, many things. Um, but I was steadfast and thank God I did have my husband who supported me and my parents were happy that he was there watching out, you know, that I wasn't doing anything too crazy. <laughs> but, but it all prepared me for that moment because through Carly's short cancer treatment, I think we all, my sister Irene and my husband Bill and I, we all had a sense that this was not good. This was not going to end well. And yet we were in denial because Carly was so vibrant and special and oh, just so much energy. We could never conceive that she could leave this earth because she can't. If she decides to stay, she's gonna stay. So um, my husband had a um, experience and my sister had an experience before mine. They both had a vision of a beautiful sunny day with lots of kids around and everything wonderful, but it was Carly's um, celebration of life ceremony. And 
they knew it later. They both compared stories later because when they both had that vision a few months before at the same time, um, it was very interesting. Very so interesting. like a premonition type of thing. It's a premonition. And I remember um, going, praying before bed and reading and, you know, ask, and I just got to download that. She's going to go. She's going to go. And I, and I, I st still fought it, still denied it still wouldn't believe in my rational, logical mind that this kid cannot go, you know, and we're going to make it not happen. And I even said to my sister, I know what to do. I know every holistic, you know, method. And, um, and Carly said, yeah, Judy, maybe after the chemo and radiation, I'll do that, you know, and I was like, my heart would sink, you know, but, but, <laughs> and I had to accept that this was the way and, you know, and many people, recover from chemo and radiation, but in my heart and soul, I knew that that was not the, the treatment. It was actually not her path. Mm, right, it wasn't her path. It wasn't her path. Or she would have, you know, been living with me. <laughs> Whatever, you know, I mean, that was her path. And um, so when she did leave, and I will, I've been, I, I am still traumatized by the look on my sister's face when we both got the news. And it's just, you know, beyond words. And I did everything I could from the beginning to let her know Carly is not dead. <laughs> Carly is not by any means. That energy has not gone into the ground and disappeared with the dirt, you know. Um, I knew she was alive. And I told my sister to please think of her as in the jungles of Australia or in the, you know, depths of the... Africa, somewhere where she couldn't uh, communicate with us yet. Uh, you know, she doesn't have a cell phone with her or a computer. There's no, you know, it's off the grid. And just just know that she's okay, though, and she's going to get in touch with us. And that was very comforting to my sister because she could resonate with that. And she, she knew Carly could not be gone. You know, she knew. Um, so in that week, you know, I spent a week with her. And then I had to go home to New Jersey, to, to my town, to get my clothes and, you know, see my animals and, you know, refresh a little bit before I went back. So I went home. And the first night home, I sat on the couch after my husband went to bed. And I'm in a state of how do I help my sister with this one? There are no words. She doesn't have the confidence I have to know so I asked Carly, I took my cell phone out. I texted her on my phone and said, Carly, I know you're okay. I know you're fine. I love you so much. I just need help now. Please help me. How do I help your mother? What am I going to do? You know, please help me help your mother. And in that exhaustion and crying, I fell asleep. And about midnight, I heard my phone go off and I woke up on the couch and said, who's texting me at this hour of the night, <laughs> early morning. And I look at my phone, and even though I had texted her, it wasn't what was up. What up was up was a Google search bar that said, heaven looks a lot like the mall. <laughs> that could only be my goddaughter. That could only be Carly, who was a shopper, you know, <laughs> she loved to shop. In fact, she went to Boston College because it was close to one of the shopping malls that she liked to shop in, <laughs> so she said. <laughs> so 
I knew it was her and I got goosebumps all over and I ran, you know, drove down to my sister's the next day with my phone and said, Carly, <laughs> this is Carly. And um, I think my sister believed me, but she, I know I called her first and told her, called her first. So what she did was, as she does very well, is Google, you know, all night long because she had PTSD and couldn't sleep and was up all night. And she Googled that heaven looks a lot like the mall. Now me, I just took it. That was Carly saying she's having fun in heaven. But my sister wanted to be practical. You know, what is this? And it turns out it was a book. It was a book written by a woman and a story about a child who had a near-death experience by getting hit in the head in a basketball court, something like that. And my sister got the book and all she told me was that there was a message in that book from Carly. Wow. When she read it the, at the very end, there was something very poignant that she knew was a message from Carly. So you see, you never know, you know, if you're open-minded and you know, you live in both worlds, you keep your feet on the ground and your head in the sky. <laughs> I think I can relate. <laughs> you, want to, you want to be balanced with that. Yeah. Wow. And, That's and a she, story. she visited me in a dream twice now. Um, it was such a clear, clear dream visit where I could touch her, feel her. You know, in the first one, she just told me that, Aunt Judy, um, leaving here is like, it's like an old shoe. It gets smelly, you take it off. Your body's like an old shoe. It gets smelly and you take it off. And the shoe piece was interesting too, because we wear the same size. So I inherited a lot of her shoes and boots that I, I've worn out <laughs> just to feel close to her and wear them. Um, but so she made that comment about like a shoe, the old shoe and, and mine had just worn out her boots. <laughs> so I'm just getting that now, actually, as I'm telling you, right. the, the boots were worn out. And uh, well, I've heard a lot of people refer to our bodies as our earth suits, how we wear them out. You know, yes. like my mother is 95 years old and she's in assisted living and things are giving out. And I go, Mom, your tooth got tired. It was chewing for how many years, you know, whatever. Right. I've heard in yoga, it's like an old coat. You take it off. But I never heard about the shoe. And so she enlightened me on that one. Yeah, so very much real and very much in charge on the other side with the other children because my sister, I think, as you know, is now, you know, very involved with helping parents heal right. on the board of directors. She organized the very first conference of helping parents heal in Arizona, 2018. I could see because I was going to be interviewing all of you at the conference, I could see how amazing and involved and confident your sister is. Mm -hmm. I was admiring that from the from the background. I was I was going to be doing my thing and your sister said, you know, absolutely, you're more than welcome with the podcast, come in and interview everyone. So I was kind of on in the threads as things were being done. I said, wow, she's great. She's really doing a great job. It must have been very hard for her to dismantle it all when we suddenly had to call it a day with the conference right. last April. Yes, but interestingly enough, um, because we couldn't meet in person, everyone in Helping Parents Heal, where there was over, what, 11, 12,000 people could not be at that conference. And every I, single one can see every single presenter because they've all been presenting on Zoom. 
and it's been a wonderful experience. Wonderful. Well, they all also are presenting on the on Grief and Rebirth podcast because we've interviewed yes. quite a few of them. In yeah. fact, uh, even Alexander and Karen Newell will be interviewed um, interviewing them in October. So you know, it's we're getting it out there too from our awesome. end. So awesome. And you wanted to know about the George Anderson story. Yes, I do. So before we get into more practical things. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> The George Anderson uh, I just want everyone to know George Anderson is like one of the, he's considered one of the greatest living mediums today. Yes, he's I, the most highly tested. So, I mean, he's world-renowned. World-renowned as an evidential, there's a complete evidence. And I, my sister and I went to see him um, oh, about a year or less after Carly left. And it was her first, she had other mediums, local she mediums. She was going to get an experience from George Anderson was oh going to be my. quite an experience. Oh my, my, my. We sat in a diner before, you know, waiting to go to the hotel next door and having a little something to eat. And we had a pad. She, she said, let's write down every single person in our family. We have a big Italian family and, and people on both sides. And we wrote down two pages of people who had transitioned just in case they popped up you know um everyone so and when we went to see george yes carly came through almost first first was i think her grandfather on her father's side um, brought her through and george gave so much evidence that you know how first of all that my sister and I were sitting next to each other at the end of about a oh, 12 foot table. He was on the other side. So he couldn't really see us that well. He said his, his glasses, he's getting old. He couldn't see so well. Um, now you so, had a private, you were not in a group. Private, private. There's the two, yes. And when Carly came through, he said to two of us, you know, one of you, uh, you have a child on the other side and blah, blah, blah. Now, boom, how, how she went, her illness, you know, so many, so many evidential statements that it couldn't be denied. Right. But the really funniest one and the coolest one was someone not on our list. And he would never know. By, by the way, my sister called from another phone to make the appointment, had a different name. Uh, he really, he doesn't want to know anything or he won't see you. You have to go in cold, which we were. And I hadn't contacted him at all. So this um, spirit came through who happened to be our step grandmother. Oh. And, and he said, there's a, a, an Emma. And we looked at each other, Emma. <laughs> Cause there were not good feelings about Emma. Emma was my grandfather's second wife who did some not so nice things to my mom. And we didn't want anything to do with it. So, this is really funny. My sister's like, she's taking up time. This is a very expensive session. Right, right. What are you doing? Here's Emma. You're wasting my money. Carly. Carly, right. You know what, Emma? <laughs> so George is saying, she's come with a flower, you know, the uh, forgiveness. Um, He's apologizing. Apologizing, the, the alms, whatever that is. Uh, and my sister's going, all right, all right, all right. You know. <laughs> George, George actually gets down. And he goes to, to us like, just say you're sorry. She won't leave us alone. <laughs> I mean, just, tell, just forgive her. She's saying she's sorry. Just forgive her. And and I'm like, okay, Emma, it's okay. You know, we forgive you. You know, you can go now. <laughs> but 
he actually got down and was whispering to us, give her. She's not gonna leave. So so we got her to leave. And we did forgive her. We did forgive her. So that was really well, like that was quite relief. a validation. Quite a validation. It's quite a validation because I I tell people also the greatest, most unusual validation I ever got was I was at a gallery once with um, Suzanne Northrup and Thomas John. And Suzanne Northrup said, I have someone here. His name is uh, Howard. That was my ex-husband who was very much alive. And on and on and on. And suddenly through, the, and I was like, what? Howard's alive. Why would she want to? And he, but it turned out that it was Howard's father. My ex-father-in-law who had been deceased 40 years. Wow. Who yes. came through. And talk about a validation for me, for anyone, because you could say I wanted to hear from my husband. Right. I would want to hear from this one, but my ex-father-in-law? Right. right. Right? So th that, to me, sometimes is more of a validation. It is. It is. And also, we had said there were four Nicks, Nicholases. So we said, you know what? If he gets any of these Nicholases, <laughs> and <laughs> every single one, e even the cat. Wow. Wow. So it was quite amazing. And, and that was the first time I could really feel my sister let go though, that validation from the other side that she, and she only wanted to go really to know that Carly was all right, that she didn't suffer when she left. And that was the first thing, the evidence she gave my sister was she was fine. It was like just walking through a door, grandparents were there, no problem. Forget, you know, don't think about the, the bad stuff, only think about the present. Mm. And that's about the trauma recovery. We'll go into that because staying present, staying in the here and now is one of the most important things we can do to keep our peace and our peace of mind. But the trauma- Which is so important because in trauma, when you have these experiences, you keep going back, right? right? It forces you to go back because you're having you know, recall, you're having uh, feedback constantly, flashbacks there's avoidance you don't want to go there but it comes in and there's sleep disturbances and there's nightmares sometimes power dreams or uh the whole range of anxiety and depression and and what i explain to parents and other people who are traumatized when they see me is that you know nor in the grief process the normal grieving process if you lose a parent or a grandparent it's sad, it's, you know, you're upset. If you're attached, the, the yoga taught me this, that the more attached you are, the more pain there is. So attachment brings pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is suffering that comes with that pain. Now, Leonardo da Vinci said that, and others have quoted it, that pain is inevitable on this planet, but suffering is optional. We do not have to suffer and PTSD causes suffering. So if I can explain just a little, in the, course, in the course of grief and normal, when I'm saying normal, I'm saying when an elder has left and it's the course of a life that we're used to we, and, and more accepting of, we go through this period of transition and the first 30 days when any traumatic event happens, a car accident, anything, the first 30 days we call acute traumatic stress. And in that acute traumatic stress time period, the 30 days, our brain that's broken in pieces of the, the trauma is shattered into all little incidents. Like with 9-11, you 
you know, uh, people who have been shattered in the first 30 days, I worked with them. And we had to work on each piece of the trauma, you know, the smell of it, the sight of it, the sound well, of it. I mean, you're amazing to do that. I mean, that's very special to be able to, people are reliving this, and it has to affect you also as you're hearing some of these experiences. Well, of course, um, I've learned how to keep a, a, a boundary. Of course, it gets into my heart, and sometimes oh I cry too. Um, but I keep my my knowledge and my boundary to help guide them through the process. So the first 30 days is is acute, and it's sharp, and it stings. Um, but then after 30 days, the brain starts to process it and integrate it. And so if you just think of the worst part of the moment that the uh, traumatic event happened, the, the, the worst part of it, it brings it all together, and you can clear it the whole scene by the worst part. That's what EMDR does. You think about the worst part of the disturbance and it'll collect all the pieces and help clear it. So that's the 30 days in normal. And then if the trauma stays with us, you know, I call it shock and lock because our adrenaline runs, right? Physically, we've got adrenaline shooting through our system. And energetically, we have all this energy shooting up into the brain and our nervous system. And it kind of bypasses the left brain. Doesn't kind of, it bypasses the left brain. Because the left, you know, the frontal lobe where the neurons connect right and left, um, it's connecting language to the picture and the feeling. There's no language in the right hemisphere where we're talking. There's no, there are no words. It's preverbal. So there's no words, but there's the feeling and the picture is clear. Well, in the left hemisphere, there's the language and the picture that goes with the picture. So, but they're on two parts of the brain and two parts of our system. And we have to integrate it in the frontal lobe. So in, after the 30 days, we integrate it and we say, oh, it was really not so bad in that accident. Nobody really got hurt. Um, the car can be fixed, you know, blah, blah, blah have insurance, you start processing it, you know, it's like spilling milk, you know, <gasps> you know and then grab the paper towels, no big deal, it's only milk, right? So you process it and you integrate it and you digest it and it's gone, you forget it happens, you know? So that's what happens into the, after the 30 days. But if it's PTSD, that shock that locks it in, it locks it into the body, the mind and the spirit. It's the energy system, the mental system and the physical system is all impacted and gets locked in and tight in these knots. Like I'm, I'm not going to ever be the same again. I'm not going to have a good life ever again, blah, blah, blah. So don't mean to, you know, discount it, but that's what we say, you know, unconsciously and consciously we've got a lot of knots tied up in. And so PTSD after the 30 days, if we're still carrying it, that's what it's called, post-traumatic stress disorder. What I've learned with helping parents heal from a devastating loss of their child, the perceived loss, the loss of their physical being, is that this acute phase can last for years, not just 30 days. It could last a year or two or more where you're chopped in pieces 
disintegrated, you know, discombobulated, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, you're not your whole self. You're well, in pieces. It, it's sort of like a domino board, and instead of like the dominoes being in order, it's like throwing them up in the air, and all the pieces of your life are like just like scattered everywhere. Right. Right. So our attachment to our child, which is the closest, the umbilical cord never leaves. You know, we may think we cut it physically, but it's emotionally, we're always tied to them. And that same umbilical cord of energy is what can bring them to us also, because they haven't gone anywhere that is not physical. You know, they, they're still here. They're in, they're in our spiritual realm and they're in our emotional realm. And until we're healed, they're going to be very close. So a lot of people feel they have to stay sad to honor their child because if they're not sad, then um, their child, you know, is not, they're not really caring much about their child. It's, it gets twisted. Also, our energy gets twisted. Our energy systems get twisted. Our energy, an energy system from every system, there's billions, you know, every cell in our body, billions and billions, 400 plus billion cells in our body all have their own energy system. And I'm moving this way. It goes in a clockwise direction. You know, the neurons and the protons and the, the, over the nucleus of the cell, whatever's circling is, is, is in a positive direction. And our emotional body, Around our body, we have an ethereal layer that lets the energy in and out. The next layer is an emotional layer, the emotional body. The next is the mental body, and then the astral, and it gets higher to the divine. So higher and higher frequencies. But all this energy gets twisted, and some of our chakras from the base chakra, the seven chakras from the base chakra, the sacral, the, the, the solar plexus, the heart, the throat, the brain, the brow, the ajna chakra, and the crown chakra can get twisted and move backwards. And so you don't feel yourself and you're not, you're not yourself. You're, you're, you're always switching us into the past. If you think about a tornado or a hurricane, the counterclockwise spin is where we're going. And it always leads us into the past or worrying about the future, but mostly the past. And so to stay centered in the present is very difficult if you don't know how to at least clear your energy system and get your chakras. So whether it's Reiki, whether it's the energy correction meditation that I invented or developed from the energy, the brief energy correction from evolving thought field therapy, um, I learned that there are pressure points on the body. And in my book, there's six that tap into six different energy systems, major energy systems that clear the whole thing, that clear the whole thing within seconds. You know, about 20 seconds on each pressure point will adjust that system. Now, will it move backwards again? Yes. You know, every time we think a negative thought, our energy can reverse. So the challenge is to stay peaceful. So PTSD is healable. We're never going to heal, you know, probably, I shouldn't say never, but a lot of parents would, would change positions in a second you know, would, would rather it be them. And that's always going to be there. You know, why did they have to go first? Um, but if a child leaves first, we've learned spiritually, there's a reason. My sister and I learned that there was a contract that she and Carly had and I had in it. And if you could see it now. It makes sense because look what's happened. Look, look what's happened. How many people you're helping through Carly. 
to right. happen, which is Charlie has done all of this because we would want her to be here and live happily ever after, get married and have kids and blah blah, you know, whatever. Um, but her sacrificing her life on this earth is profoundly important yes. and significant to me, and I never stop honoring that. I never stop honoring that because it's so amazing, and. So I've learned through the techniques of energy work and, and spirituality and EMDR, the practical and the gestalt therapy. And you know, I put together a system I call Shiomi therapy that addresses it all, addresses oh, it oh, all. So that, so Shiomi therapy is the combination or, 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 one, or whichever, for instance, you probably take for one person, one or two or three modalities work for another person, you need all of them or do you use them all together? every person is different so my protocol is to first test them for their energy system and before we do any treatment make sure that energy is going in the right direction and clear that first because if you think about it you go in to see a talking therapist your energy is all switched blah, 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 blah. it's like you don't even hear what they're saying you know it's goes in one ear and out the other and um because you're traumatized so first creating a sacred space and learning how to find peace and stay in the center of the tornado in the middle of the hurricane the eye of the hurricane you know i've actually experienced that i was in a hurricane and i stayed in the eye four times during hurricane lenny in saint martin and it's like the universe was teaching me because i used to say to everyone and i still to clients you know we have to get in the middle of that tornado where it's still and powerful and not get whipped up in the counterclockwise winds that are gonna take us and kill us, you know, and destroy us. So in the center, it's a very um, important place to stay. We learn that through meditation and through other ways of, you know, joyful experiences to stay in our center. And that's the first step. So for everyone, that is the first step. And it's an EMDR method too, to create a safe space to heal. I call it a safe sacred space, a heavenly place where it is bringing heaven to earth. You are actually bringing heaven to earth because your vibration is so high. I use essential oil, therapeutic grade essential oils along with it. That came later. That probably was in 2005, I learned that. I use essential oils also, I think they're wonderful. But that raises your vibration and helps you stay more peaceful. And there are peace and calming and other ones that keep you lavender, whatever, to keep you peaceful. Um, and there are high, high frequencies like uh, Northern Lights, Black Spruce, that is, is in the 300 units of, you know, where we resonate in the like 60 um, cycles per second. These oils resonate 300 and more cycles per second. They're, they're just incredible. So that came later. So I was guided to these different methods, Gestalt, EMDR, energy psychology, the oils, yoga, you know. And Shiomi with each person is different in the treatment because everyone's system is shocked and locked in a different place, different space. Can so, I do privates with people? Do you do like online? Like if I haven't. I, I, like, yes, oh yes, my yes. God, Judy is the one for me. I gotta go see her. And then well, what we learned, we learned through the pandemic, which I never realized that yes, EMDR can be done on Zoom. We have, we tap, you know. Personally, I'm not doing a lot of individual. I like group. Um, You're doing group had, Excuse me? 
You're doing group healings? Like yes, doing group healings with Helping Parent Heal. The first Friday of every month, I volunteered to whoever wants to come, you know, join on. You get it through, you get the link through Helping Parents Heal and join us because we do a Shiomi healing session. So in group, it's a little different than individual, of course, because I can't work on each person individually. But in a group session, the whole group connects. There's a surrogate we test for the group and then do the treatments through that surrogate. And the, what's basically Shiomi is what I call a magic circle, the healing circle. And there's this container over the ocean because Shiomi is a dolphin. That's the name of a dolphin I met. And it means rip current. Shiomi means rip current. Very fast. Very, very fast. Goes fast. So it does. And we each put our disturbance in the container and we're able to, in the end, when it goes from a 10 down to a one, has to be a one or less to shift the circle, but everyone in the group lowers their disturbance level to a one or less. And then we shift the negative. And I, I don't want to get into it much now, but just to say that it's a, a an American Indian ritual. It uses Chinese medicine, uh, you know, Japanese medicine, all different techniques. But when we shift the circle, we take it through four corners. We take it into the earth and up to the sky. We give it to the God, the source, whatever you conceive that higher being to be. And we ask for an image that will replace the negative. We ask every, you know, and every single person in the group will get an image that's different from their source. And we'll able to lock it in with pressure points and eye movement and keep it, install it and feel grounded with it. And it's an amazing process. It really now, is. This group that these group healings you have, are they only for people who lost children, Judy, or do they, are they, if someone else has had a different kind of a trauma, can they join in? It, it can, on, uh, it's only for helping parents heal right now. This particular um, group healing I'm doing is, is for helping parents heal. Is twelve thousand people. Wow. So this is a lot of people who can come. But I'm just so thrilled and honored that 40, 50 people can do it at once. I always knew this, but it didn't. It, this is what it took. The pandemic it took to to prove it. Because I did it in smaller groups of twelve or seven um, during times I taught at Skidmore College with the women's international women's writing group. We would do to get rid of writer's block or whatever. Um, you know. I knew it could work. And, and I always had this um, insight, intuition that it could work in a big way. So we're just, I think it's just being led there now that it's wonderful. phenomenal. It's so wonderful. So people can understand because we're talking about, I know there's a difference between, but there's actually a link between complicated grief and PTSD and trauma recovery. Can you explain that to those of us who are uh, lay people about this? Well, I would believe and know at this point that uh, most, most parents who have lost a child have complex grief. And complex, complicated or complex grief is, that alone is complicated because it shatters you in so many pieces. And, and like I said earlier, putting those pieces back together again takes time. Then if you have earlier memories, earlier traumas, if you've had abuse, neglect, accidents, 
you know, the realm. I've, I've had, I've, I've seen people with ritualistic abuse, which is one by far one of the worst of group, you know, horrible things done to a child and a baby, um, sexual abuse. So if, if you've had any abuses and traumatic incidences in your past, that will definitely feed into the issue that you're dealing with. So, you know, there's mad, sad, glad, hurt, scared. The five main emotions in Gestalt therapy were taught. You know, think about it. With mad, you, you can have from a little frustration to rage, you know, yeah. sad, the same. Glad, meaning the excitement, the charge of the excitement. That's, that's a negative charge though, not a, not a positive, joyful, uplifting, peaceful joy. It's an excitable, you know, nervous reaction, similar to psychosis, you know, you'd see in a, in a mental institution. So, so mad, sad, glad, hurt, and scared, fear, you know, from a little terror, from terror to a little bit of anxiety. So all those emotions come into play with your feeder memory. If you have something that made you angry, if you're angry now, there's something feeding it. It just triggers the, the prior abuse or the prior situation. Right. So half right. of our planet or more probably is walking around with issues like crazy that they don't realize that came from trauma that they had early yeah. on. They don't relate to the real. Yes. And I truly believe and know it's not a belief because, you know, belief can be a lie. Be beliefs change. That L-I-E, belief, L-I-E. Right. There's a lie in there because people have different beliefs, but then you learn something new, science changes it and you change your beliefs. But knowledge is truth. Knowledge, this insight, this intuition, the voices we hear that are true spiritual knowledge, that is strong and powerful. So the truth is we can bring in trauma from other places into this lifetime. Now, I'm not here to say where we've been before, but all we know is we are eternal souls. That's right. We're here for a snap, just a short amount of time. You know, we think 20 years is short, you know, 90 years is short. It's just a blink of an eye in the scheme of the universe and the universal of eternal time. So wherever we've been before, since our first birth in the universe, we've experienced things that electromagnetically stick to us. We're a magnet. We're an electromagnetic spirit. And so these traumas, I call them holograms as a picture to see this event that is a movie, is a real movie. The smell of it, the taste of it, the sound of it, the sight of it, the, the visceral feeling of it is stuck in that shock. So and it sticks to us. And then it runs through our energy systems. So some people have it in the heart meridian and the heart chakra. Some people have it in the liver or the gallbladder. Some people have it in the throat. They can't speak, the thyroid. Wherever our weakness is, it tends to gravitate there. And mine for a long time was the throat. I, could, I couldn't speak. And, and sometimes still people say, speak up. You know, I'm, I'm so used to going within and not talking about things as a child. So... So I had to learn to, how to speak up. I never thought I would be doing something like this in my life. Um, 
But if it wasn't for guidance and being guiding to it, I'd probably, you know, be hanging out by the lake right now. Just right. in my but body. Makes you also, when you're helping people, you're so instantly relatable, relatable because yeah. you've experienced it yourself. And you can't, you're not just lecturing, you've actually experienced what you're trying to help them with. And you've done a lot of your own healing, which I've done a lot of my own healing. Awesome. And I still am. I was talking before the, the meeting here that two years ago at the conference in, that I was presenting for the first time, you know, grief and PTSD and trauma recovery, you know, I had an accident the night before, the afternoon before I was going to speak and I had surgery and it was traumatic, but I sat in the wheelchair and said to everyone in the audience, ah, we don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> we don't sweat the, and I really truly meant it because even though half my leg was taken off, wow. it's the small stuff. It was wow. small compared to your child leaving. Who am I to suffer about this? You know, this can heal. Um, but it did take me afterwards, after the shock wore off, you know, and you had a similar story. People said to me, they were amazed. I was so amazed. They couldn't believe I was even hurt because I dissociate. <laughs> I just leave my body. I don't want to feel it, you know, and I wasn't on drugs. I was just, you know, in order to maintain it, on the way to the hospital, I was like, they asked me, how bad is it on a one to 10? Eh, about a five, four or five. They knew that was not a four or five, <laughs> you know, but I, I felt that way because I detached from it. I, I, maybe not disassociation is a, a, a strange word, but it's disassociating from your body. Yes. So you leave your body. You learn to do that when you've had trauma in the past. You learn to dissociate. And, you know, so you don't sweat the small stuff. Um, but over this two-year period, I have gone into a deep well of healing and more than I ever did before. I'm, that's, why, that's the only reason I'm not seeing people one-on-one -on -one too much. Very, very few, my, my past client. I will, again, hopefully one day. So if someone's listening to this and they would like to work with someone who does show me therapy or whatever, do you have people you recommend? Um, no one does Shiomi because I have to teach That's it. Okay. Yeah, well, but EMDR and energy psychology, anyone who does EMDR. Yes, there's the EMDR.org and you can find therapists in your area and uh, evolving thought field therapy and uh, any, well, and, and I will I will do two or three sessions with people to get them over great. the hump. Oh, that's great because yeah. that's what we want people to know that if they want to reach out to you after listening to this, yes, you could guide them on to more. How about telling us about the books you've written? And then I know you have an amazing story about George Anderson from the first Healthy Parents Heal. Oh, okay. Um, well, actually, I have to correct. I, I wrote one manual for my clients: the Energy Correction Meditation. I have two CDs that have bilateral brain stimulation and guided meditation that are just beautiful. The, the music is incredible. In fact, Alex C from my first CD, the musician who made that music and put bilateral sounds to it um, said he got it directly from the angels. He was wow. downloaded from the angels. So it's a very powerful piece that Rochelle Wright uses on her website. You can go to... Um, her website and um, for repair and reattachment grief therapy. And again, that's another uh, using EMDR for a full day of healing for grief, um, repair and reattachment grief therapy. I know you've got another story with that about the long lost loved one. Oh yeah, that one too. So we need two, we need two 
stories. One with the George Anderson and one with this. Um, okay. Patrick B. Trainer. Okay. Stories are so great, Judy. Yes. And what I'm talking about is going into my new book, Transitioning Trauma, Grief, and PTSD. And so I, I have a lot, most of it written. I have to put it together and get it out there. So if anyone wants to help me, <laughs> who's a techie, I'll, I'll, I'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> you hopefully you'll get some responses. <laughs> Maybe. So the story about George Anderson, um, you know, Irene invited him to speak and he um, accepted to the first conference ever for helping parents heal that was in Arizona in 2018 in Phoenix. So he told the story that was very interesting that it, he lives in Long Island and before the conference, months before the conference, he'd be shopping and this pesky kid was after him, the spirit, uh, telling him, you know, you got to talk to my mother, you got to talk to my mother, and you got to get that for my mother. And she was badgering him to buy a present for her mother to bring to the conference. And he was like, fine, all right, all right, all right. So he bought this present for this spirit child, um, not knowing and just, and on the way to, in the airport, there she is, this pesky kid saying, do you have the present? <laughs> yeah, I got it, I got it, leave me alone, you know. <laughs> So in the meantime, there was a woman from Long Island whose child had transitioned only a few months before, a couple months before, I think. And she heard about the conference through someone else, got in touch with my sister who was organizing, my sister and Elizabeth Bossant, and begged my sister to please, because the conference was closed. It was all, you know, 500 people. And she said, please, please put me on the waiting list if anyone leaves, you know, I, I really want to go. I, I have this urge. I, I just feel this urge. I have to be there. And she didn't know why, but she just was driven to want to be there. She had no connection to her childhood transition because she was in such deep grief and trauma, trauma. And so what happens? Last minute, someone opens up a slot for her. She's able to get there, get the ticket, go. So George Anderson is giving his keynote address, opening up the conference. And then he starts talking about this pesky kid, you know, that's bothering him. And he's, and he's very funny if you've ever seen him. And, uh, he, and then he starts telling the story about he has this present. And for this woman, does anyone, you know, does anyone know this? Because now he has the name of the girl and the name of the mother. And this woman stands up and it's that woman from Long Island who got that last ticket and that present was from her daughter. And it was a present of something that she had wanted that her daughter actually picked out for her. I think it was jewelry or something. But oh, wonderful. It just was beautiful. wonderful. It was just so beautiful. And I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I was having surgery. No, I didn't. The validation that yes. we on that people can't make that up. That's no. unbelievable. And then you've got another one about a long lost loved one who transmitted an amazing message Oh, when I went to learn repair and reattachment grief therapy, and I'm trying to think, I, I did past life regression therapy with Dr. Brian Weiss in 2015, so I think 2014, I, my sister, again, found this, I didn't know about it, and discovered that Rochelle Wright had formulated a protocol of a full day uh, repair and reattachment grief therapy. It was called guided afterlife connections at the time. 
she changed the name. Right. So I went for guided afterlife connections to learn. And my sister went for the therapy. So she had a healing. My sister had a healing with Rochelle. And I stayed for the weekend to take the course. So we're in dyads, two people. We couple up with two people. So I sat with someone I never met before, wonderful lady. Um, and I was going to be the therapist and she was the client. And remember, it's a full day process, but in, we had to do it in half a day because <laughs> then switch. So during the time I, um, I worked with her, you know, we did Rochelle's protocol, but I added my own. I brought oils <laughs> and um, we used a, a tapper, I think, and eye movement. We used two bilateral brain stimulation techniques and I used the essential oils. And we said a prayer that the highest good come from this session, which I always do, and that we're protected and that only the truth comes through. So I do one set of eye movement with her and she said, she got nothing. So that's okay, you know, let's, let's do it again. You know, go with nothing, go with nothing. And all of a sudden she said, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, oh my Lord. And I'm saying, what, 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 what? <laughs> she said, he's here. And she proceeds to tell me the story that 30 years before or more during the Vietnam War, her older sister had lost her fiance. And it was, I don't want to get deep into the story, but she's given me permission to tell this story and I wrote about it. But the fiance was a Native American boy and she was a white woman family and her parents didn't want her to see this kid. And she became pregnant with his child. He went off to Vietnam and he was supposed to come home. And his leave, you know, in that transition where you come home and they keep you for a while, he volunteered to go back. She didn't know it. And he was killed. And she was, she was making a dress for him and she, to see him. And she was so excited to have him. And she didn't even find out. She found out through the tribe because she wasn't allowed, you know, but she would go to see his mother and speak. She was a medicine woman and speak to, to him. So this is the fellow who shows up in the session that I'm doing. Her older sister's fiance from 35 more years ago from Vietnam. And he proceeds to tell her that he's kind of hanging out now with her father who hated him in real life, in, in earthly life, that they've made up. Um, he's sorry for how he treated him, um, that he saw her, his sister making the dress. But one of the things he said to her was, my, you've grown up. Uh, remember, she was a kid. She was, was with her and she was letting her know that he really... She was the little sister that the older sister took around, not because the older sister wanted her little sister. He wanted, he loved her. And he said, come on, take your little sister. You know, he, he had a fondness for this little sister. And she cracked up. She goes, later on, she said, I love it. He didn't say you look so old. He said, my, you've grown up <laughs> so much. <laughs> it was beautiful. Oh it was beautiful. And he gave her all this information about, he saw her making the dress and that, you know, he, he still loves her. He's so happy she's remarried. She's married. And um, gave messages to her and 
just this. And she whole, got them right there while she was with you, just like that. Just like that. After and two sets of eye movement. After two okay. sets of eye movement. So if it's okay. going to happen, it's going to happen. Wow. So I want to ask you, I would love for you to share with our Grief and Rebirth podcast listeners the importance of healing in this lifetime, but would you also incorporate with that, since your books are healing modalities themselves, tell us about, tell our people about the books and why you believe it's important to do it now while you're in your body and don't wait till you come back or till you have to go to the other side. Why? Why should you motivate yourself? Why go online? So a podcast like this, look at all of these healers and say, I got work I got to do. Let me do this before I cross over. Well, remember how I said that we take our trauma with us. Wherever we go, we take our trauma with us. If we have traumatized energy, that means that we have energy that's stuck. And with that energy that's stuck are not only the, the negative images, and sometimes we don't have the images, we have the feeling. Sometimes we don't have the feeling, we have the thought. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I can't go on. And these, these sabotaging thoughts attract other negative thoughts. And we collect these negative thoughts and they seem to, you know, blossom and, and enhance and amplify. And then we take this with us. Our spirit doesn't just, you know, the, the body may go like an old shoe or an old coat. But our spirit carries the negative energy, the disturbing energies with it that has to be reprocessed afterwards. And so I'm told by others in the afterlife that, you know, there are hospitals and angels and helpers that help clear us. But the main issues and the negative energy has to be worked out by ourself. And this is the best way to do it in an earthly body we can release it from our body, mind, and spirit here. So I just think it makes sense <laughs> to not take it with us and to heal it. Most people don't realize that post-traumatic stress disorder is healable. You know, you hear these things from veterans, like it's, it's never going to end. It's a life sentence. It is not a life sentence. Emotions are a life sentence. Emotions, mad, sad, glad, hurt, scared. We're going to have oodles of them. They're going to come and they'll go and they'll come and they'll go and they'll come and they'll go. Our technique as a yogi is to step back and watch them more than get into it, you know, to, to hesitate before we say something, hopefully. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm just as bad as anyone else with that one. Sometimes I have to really stuff it. So we learn to step because back. As you know, it's hard sometimes to, to put it into practice. It's easier in an ashram. You know, you have a whole community working. It's a, that's like a convent, you know, a spiritual community where everyone's working on it, observing each other, journaling, talking, meditating, and having a spiritual life reinforced by everybody there. Having left that experience, it's much harder in regular life, um, but it can be done. It can be done. And it's a, it's a life practice. It's really a life practice. So finding the peace, staying centered in a sacred space, and being able to actually intuit where this trauma is. I mean, people gestalt it. That's where the gestalt comes in. They gestalt the energy. They can smell it, taste it, see it. When you're really in that space, you can see that energy. And it has a voice. And the voice is not usually a good one. But we can take that, put it in a container, 
and shift it. There's a flash technique I just learned that I do on Zoom with people where, and I do it in the beginning of the healing group because the flash, you're tapping only on a positive thought, only on a happy memory, something that helps you light up like the Christmas tree, like I was talking about. You wanna light up and as you're tapping, you blink a few times after a series of tapping and the blinking kind of helps you process what's in the container without looking at it and without thinking about it. It's marvelous. It's a wonderful technique that Dr. Uh, Mansfield, Philip Mansfield discovered in his EMDR work. So all of us EMDR people are dabbling in it now and it's wonderful because sometimes things just release without even thinking about it. So there are all these techniques to use, but yes, it's important to heal it and clear it, not only for not taking it with us, but just to have a peaceful experience and stay present on this earth while we're here. We're going to leave. We're all going to leave some point, you know, and then we'll say, oh, it wasn't, it seems like I just saw you yesterday. You know, the spirit will say to us, you know, even though it's a hundred years, maybe it's just a snap. So if we can clear it for ourselves physically, so we don't get any illness or dis-ease, from these feelings, these negative feelings, and this constant barrage of negative energy that we're collecting, which impacts our heart and our liver and everything else. Um, we need to clear it physically for our physical health, emotionally for our emotional health, and mentally for our mind to be still, and spiritually to uplift our spirit and to just take that with us. Absolutely, I, I so agree with you. It, it enhances your quality of life. Mm -hmm. And if the theory is that we're here to learn, this is school and that's home, why not learn what you need to so that your next time around is a better? Right. Plus the trauma blocks you from connections that you could have, whether it's afterlife or here in this yeah, life. Absolutely. It blocks us. It puts up a this like invisible energy barrier that pushes away goodness and only attracts the negative. So when the negative leaves, I can't tell you how many people in thousands and thousands of session hours have cleared their stuff and changed their life just by getting rid of one thought, I'm not good enough, or I can't do this. You know, once that thought is clear and it sets in that, of course I'm divine, of course I can do what I want to do and need to do. You know, when these things uplift us, we can live in peace, we can live in the present, and we can have connections that are important, including connections with those in the afterlife. Oh, that's beautiful. Judy, briefly tell us about each of your books and for people who might want to buy them. There's the Energy Correction Meditation. Uh, there's the, I have two PDFs. One is the Energy Centering Meditation and then Energy Centering Meditation with Essential Oils. That I use a feelings kit that has six amazing blends that go with the six pressure points like a marriage made in heaven it's just amazing like for the governing vessel where you want to stay present there's present time for the conception vessel where you want to conceive of yourself as divine there's inner child there's just you know release to release from the small intestine meridian harmony for the brain the ajna chakra forgiveness for the base chakra it's just each one has a purpose valor for the mental body to have courage and strength to be yourself. So they add to it, they enhance it. 
So that's that piece. And Transitioning Trauma, Grief and PTSD is a book in progress. I'm hoping it is that it'll be out by Christmas time. I'm hoping. But when you are done with it, you have to come back. I will. Tell us all about it. I I'm will. Sure we'll, we'll definitely want to hear all about that. So I have the Energy Centering Meditation CD that has bilateral bliss, a six-minute meditation to do it quickly for those who don't have time. And those of my clients is I don't have time to meditate. So I made a six minute meditation that you have time to do this before work, you know, um, and a 16 minute meditation. That's a lot longer. And then a couple beautiful. So when they listen to this, if they listen to this, this energy centering CD, when they're done listening to it, their energy is going to, even no matter what they've been going through, their energy is going to be cleared and centered. Yes, and they'll learn how to do it at home and do it because, again, you can switch anytime you get into a funk. Um, so you learn what point to use for what purpose. For instance, if you're always thinking about the past and your mind keeps going to the past, you hit the governing vessel treatment point and stay present. It helps you stay present. It gets you back to the present. So you learn you know, which points you need. If you're, mental, if you're not feeling happy, healthy, or peaceful, you're going to use the mental body, rub on the mental body. So each, it's it's very specific to what you need for life. So and there's and there's bilateral bliss on that. It's a beautiful musical piece with uh, tones, auditory tones that stimulate, along with Angelic C on creating healthy boundaries. My first CD has my guided meditation to create a healthy boundary, to create a sacred safe space. That has Angelic C. That's beautiful. It really is so out of the Everybody wants to buy your books. They want to get a hold of you. They want to get to know you. And uh, I'm so glad to have got to be able to get to know you. How do they tell us all the wonderful ways they can connect with you? Okay. If you go to shiomi.com, which is S-H-I-O-M-E, shiomi.com, that's my main website that talks about shiomi therapy, the points. You can get the energy correction meditation and the CDs on that. Um, I gift you the Creating Healthy Boundaries CD when you purchase that one. So you get two CDs with it. Um, Judith Hancock's my name.com talks about mainly bereavement and grief therapy, the repair and reattachment grief therapy, past life regression and progression therapy. So that has more, but they're linked. So you can go to, from one to the other. Um, you can email me the best one right now is judith.appointments, plural, at gmail.com, or my name, judithhancocks at gmail.com. As you know, when you have an email address and people start inundating you and then, you know, advertisers too, judithhancocks at gmail is getting overloaded. So judith.appointments, I'll see more quickly okay. <laughs> at yeah. gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And this is like an understatement for you, but what is your tip for finding joy in life? Well, after all this, you know, just to stay peaceful, to create a sacred space, to stay in the center, but walking in nature, you know, what helped me most through this healing of my PTSD the last two years has been to go by the lake. And when I can go out in the canoe or my neighbor's motorboat, <laughs> you know, and jump in the water and swim, you know, something you love to do, just pick something you love to do. I've been watching funny movies, uh, you know, you want to inundate yourself with humor and funny things and, you know, 
nighttime, uh, you know, Seth Meyers is my favorite. <laughs> but, you know, these are things we have at our access right now. We can, we can choose what thoughts we're going to think and we can choose what things we're going to watch on TV or see movies. Um, we all have nature. Even if you live in the city, you could probably go up on a roof somewhere um, and get to see the stars and the moon. You know, I, I am blessed to be in a place with 10 acres on Lake Champlain. We are going to have a healing center here where people are going to come. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Have healing circles by the lake and when this pandemic is over. But in the meantime, we can do it on Zoom. You can join the healing circle. Um, and if you want to create another one that's not helping parents heal, then email me. We'll, we'll start another circle. I think that's wonderful, Judy. I really, really, really do. I hate that. Excuse me, one more thing. Very important. You know, reading spiritual, if you read, to watch what you read before you go to sleep. And whether it's Pam Grout, she's so funny with her E squared experiments or um, The Course in Miracles that she has her own version of, but spiritual books, you know, Autobiography of a Yogi, and uh, just any spiritual book that you can take you into yourself. Hey, they serve bagels in heaven. They serve bagels in heaven. It's funny you said that because I wrote a piece that there's no stop signs in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> racing for their bagels. <laughs> racing for the bagels. <laughs> and you don't have accidents. <laughs> Everyone's aware of their space. <laughs> and that we're one. <laughs> Just a delight. I mean, I know that Many of, I, I mean, I agree with you that many of us are here to bring heaven to earth and you are doing everything in your po in your power to make this a possibility for so many people. You are Trying. special and you're such a blessing. Thank and you so I am blessed to have met you like this today. And I, and I, and I know that our many listeners are just going to enjoy you and can't wait to have you back. And also, can I say one last thing about sure. trauma and healing? Because this is important. I don't want to gloss over it. We're healing for the needs of our soul. And we're healing for ourselves and for others. And, the and we need to honor our emotions. As much as I say, you know, I've been praying and asking for guidance to help people heal as quickly as possible, to accelerate what needs to be done so we don't have to spend a lifetime suffering. However, the time we do take our emotions, take our suffering, go within, you know, like one yogi said, this guru, Swami Shivananda, his guru told him, if you're going to be in a bad mood, go to your room. It's okay to be in a bad mood. Just don't put it on anybody else. Don't you know? displace it, right? Yeah. So it's kind of true, you know, but, but it's also true to honor these, these feelings and so when I see someone and, and deal with people, I, I use the example of going into a cocoon because it's like we're a caterpillar filled with all these crazy, skeevy kind of, you know, things that we don't like. And so what do caterpillars do? You know, they go up a tree so they don't get stepped on and they form a chrysalis around them and they make all these changes. So when we're grieving, you know, be in our room, you know, grieve, cry, release. That's very important. You know, tears, I say, are salt water. They are, that can dissolve some of the pain that we're feeling and release it. So, but it needs to be honored. 
as a life experience and it always needs to be honored. Whatever we put in the circle, in the container to shift, we honor it. We always honor it because it's a teacher. We've come here to suffer, not to suffer. We've come here to experience pain and learn that we don't have to suffer from it. We can evolve from it. We can learn from it, grow from it. It's supposed to teach us something. So once it shifts, I love this. You're saying we're healing for the needs of our souls and we're healing for the what of others. We're healing for others. We're healing for ourselves, and we're healing for others. You know, not, not just to be an example that it could be done, but actually to be a positive influence on the vibration of the world. Wonderful. Our peace of mind. We don't have to be happy. It's good to be happy. You know, it's different than joy. Joy is a peaceful, blissful expression of our soul. But happiness is, comes and goes, you know, it's, it's, it's effervescent. It's just, you know, bubbles around and might have it, might not. We may never be happy that our child left or that our loved one lost, is lost or, or whatever the situation is, we might not be happy, but we need to stay peaceful because peace is a positive energy. Just staying peaceful keeps all of our energy centers moving in a positive direction. It's not a weak, you know, weakness to be peaceful. It's a, it's a power. It's a real powerhouse to be peaceful. So when we're peaceful in our own space, we're influencing the vibration of the world. So yes, I get a little crazy sometimes with the politics. I have to admit, that's one of the things where I, I got to put us, you know, just shut the TV, shut the news and pray and meditate and put the peace out there because that's what's going to influence other people silently. It's wonderful. I don't think there's a single person who's going to listen to this who's going to be not fascinated and wanting to hear every word. And uh, just, Jared, this has been a, an absolutely stellar, wonderful interview. Thank you. Awesome. Thank I'm, you. Thank I'm you. honored. I'm honored to be here. I always am honored with every person I meet. I, you know, there's a saying, namaste, people. Yes, namaste. That, that's the soul in us honoring each other as right. equal is equal. The light in me honors the light in you. We are one, as they say. Yes. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on irewineberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us. We know you do. On social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings. And bye for now. Mm -hmm.